What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek. This is now episode 35. Riv is not here today. You know, he's been on sick leave. Woke up in a bad mood, I think, you know, got, I'm not going to air his personal stuff out there, but he's just not here today. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about Antonio Brown to the Bucks. what's wrong with the Patriots, how far the Seahawks can go, if the Cardinals have a chance to win the NFC West, are the Steelers the best team in the AFC, Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert, and NFL Pick'em Week 8. So actually, we're not going to talk about the Steelers, but we're going to talk about everything else that's on there. A packed episode. Pretty much. I think it's about eight topics, eight topics. So, okay, first things first, we know that Antonio Brown signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks. What's your reaction to this move? What do you think about it? So obviously, first things first, the, the big question mark is, can he... Get on the field. The best ability is availability, and that has been his biggest issue since leaving Pittsburgh. He went to Oakland. That didn't work out. The even scarier part is he went to New England with Belichick and Brady. If you can't figure it out there, I'm a little hard-pressed to believe you're going to figure it out anywhere. So that is my biggest concern is can he get himself on the field? Is his mind in the right place, which I've read it is. I have to see that happen first. Because a lot of people were saying these same things that we're about to say now when he went to New England. And it's not like he went to New England and had no impact and got cut. He went to New England, played a great game against the Dolphins, was targeted at almost half the snaps he was on the field, and then got cut. Granted, there was off-the-field issues. Are the -the off-the-field issues ever going to go away? And that's going to be the baggage that follows him around the rest of his career until he proves otherwise. With all that being said... This guy, you know, years ago when he was with the Steelers, he was in the conversations of can this guy be the greatest wide receiver ever? And his numbers, I think his first 10 seasons in the NFL were better than Jerry Rice's first 10 seasons in the NFL. So he's shown that he was trending towards that trajectory. And I agree with you. I think it's about his off-the-field problems, but I also believe that he... Tom Brady never wanted him to leave New England. I think it was more of an upper management Bill yeah. Belichick decision, and that's what I think pissed Tom Brady off to him ultimately leaving the team. And, and there was more before that. You could go back to even when Jimmy Garoppolo was with the team. If it was up to Bill Belichick, call me crazy, but he would have chose Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady. But Robert Kraft made the decision that Brady was going to stay. Garoppolo had to go, and Belichick goes out and spitefully trades him to the Niners for a second-round pick when there was better offers on the table, but he sent Garoppolo to the Niners because he thought it would be a good place for him to succeed and he wanted to see him do well. And I think that from there, that rubbed Tom Brady the wrong way. And I don't think him and Bill Belichick ever were on the same exact page, but they were good enough together to make it work that they had that legendary connection. And obviously now Brady's gone, and realistically... He's, run, he's calling the shots down there in Tampa Bay. He brought Gronk in. Now he's essentially single-handedly brought A.B. in, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. If you get a guy like that on your team at his age, 
you do anything that he thinks is necessary to win a championship, they have a small window. And like we said, if you can get Antonio Brown at the level that he was at, crazy to say this, but two years ago in 2018, it feels like a lifetime ago. But if you can get him back to that level, there is nobody in the NFL that can stop that offense. I think even now, even without him being on the team, you can't stop that offense. Yeah. But with him being on it, yeah, there's no chance. That's why, even last episode, I said I think they're the best team in the NFC. I think without a doubt, now now people are getting on that wave. Oh, yeah, now they're going to be the best team in the NFC. But he just has to stay on the field, and I think that's going to happen. With Tom Brady being there, I think Antonio Brown stays in line, but I, I also believe he still has a uh, court case pending, so he's totally not off the hook with that. We'll see how that goes. But Antonio Brown to the Bucks, if he can remain there, they're going to be dangerous the whole year. And I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. So You think about that offense. You could literally run sets where you would have Tom Brady out there with Ronald Jones, who's played awesome. If you want to run a two running back set, you'd have a Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette out there. And then you, you could have three receivers, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and then Gronk at tight end. The only thing I don't like about the move is that my fantasy team is totally messed up now. <laughs> I drafted Chris Godwin in one of my leagues. It's over for him. Mike Evans, I drafted him in another league. It's over for him. You know, I've been trying to trade these guys, but nobody wants to accept my trade offers. The other good thing about the deal for them is one of the biggest struggles for them so far has been health. You know, when Evans has been on the field, Godwin has been out. When Godwin's been on the field, Evans has been out. So even if, you know, they can't get the three of them on the field at the same time, it gives them the best contingency plan in the league. With You have those three guys. Any three of them could be a number one wide receiver for almost any team in the league. And this goes to my next question. Was Tom Brady right for leaving New England? In my opinion, absolutely. Especially, we're going to talk about New England in a, in a little bit. But when you look at, okay, one, this is, this is why I wish Riv was here. Because Riv was one of the main people that were saying Tom Brady's washed, Tom Brady's this. I knew he was never washed. Tom Brady was never washed. The team sucked. His receivers sucked. Tight ends sucked. In New England, they were not good. In Tampa Bay now, okay, he has 18 touchdowns in 2020. Last year, he had 24. Is it We can say he's going to match 24 in the next two, three games. Yeah, he's probably going to exceed that, right? 103 quarterback rating right now. New England last year, 88 quarterback rating. And right now, he's playing at such a great level. Like, he's only had one interception in the last five games. This is a 43-year-old we're talking about. I think Farr started declining at, what, 41? And Tom Brady's still going? See, I think we looked at age too much with Tom Brady, and we thought he wasn't going to be this good, and we all thought it was Belichick. People disrespected Tom Brady, calling him a system quarterback. But now he's showing that he was a main component in that. You look at Cam Newton, even with his running ability, it's hard for them to win games. Yeah, and, and I think that you mentioned it perfectly. Tom Brady jumped ship in New England as it was sinking. You look at that defense last year, it was one of the best in the league, one of the best in recent memory, but they lost pieces and there was no way they were playing up to that level this year. And even then, when they got to the playoffs, they folded against the Titans, who everybody expected them to beat. Granted, the Titans over-exceeded expectations. It still isn't a game that they should have lost if they were the team that everybody thought they were. It had been a few years now that he hadn't really had any receivers outside of Julian Edelman, and realistically, Julian Edelman wouldn't be Julian Edelman without Tom Brady. 
And that system, as long as he was there, was never conducive to a superstar quarterback because, you know, and I say this now, looking back on his career, we might never get the true answer to this, but based off of his play on New England, he never showed the athletic ability or the uh, the arm talent that a guy like Peyton Manning showed, in my opinion. But the offense just worked. He was great in the offense, and he did what he needed to do. And they had such a great system there that he never needed to do what Peyton Manning did, what Drew Brees has done with his arm. Now that he's going to Tampa Bay, I wish we could have seen him make this move earlier in his career because even at 43 years old, he's making plays and throws there that I feel like we didn't really get to see him make in New England. Yeah, I agree with you. But also, I think in New England, the only time we really saw him be this explosive was probably his the year he threw 50 touchdowns with Randy Moss, his first year there. But outside of that, you're completely right. And the thing about it is that when you look at New England, when people look at New England, they think of them as having one of the best defenses in the league. It's remarkable that Tom Brady went from New England to Tampa. And Tampa right now is, can we call them a top three defense in the NFL? They're a top three defense in the NFL. I think they're a better defense than New England right now. So he went to a team that has a better defense and better offensive weapons. Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Rojo Ronald Jones, Antonio Brown now, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard when he was healthy, Cameron Bray. Now, a lot of people don't know about him, but he's good. I like Cameron Bray. So he's went to a team that's so much better on offense, but also so much better on defense. I think this was a no-brainer. This was the correct decision for Tom Brady to go there. And at first, I wasn't sure he was going to go. I thought he was going to go to, like, the Colts or, like, the Chargers. But this was the best decision for him. Yeah, and, and there was definitely question marks at first. But when you look at it, almost every question you have had has been met with a positive answer. Ronald Jones was a guy who extremely underperformed last year, and he's bounced back and been what everybody expected him to be last year. And going to that offense at 43 years old, a Bruce Arian system, would he be able to still sling it? He has. He can still make those throws that we didn't really see that much in New England. And you know, are they going to be able to mesh? How's the defense going to look? Every question mark people had about them, myself included, they have stepped up to the challenge. And it, it's leaves. taken some time to get everything in shape. But, you know, it's a, it's a thing that I feel like we mention every week with a bunch of different teams. But I feel like their, their season will be looking a lot different if they had a whole preseason to develop this. But they're working through the kinks that they would have been working through in July and August now. And now they're hitting on all cylinders, and they are scary. Yeah, Tom Brady leads the league in, um, like, the big-time throws. PFF has, they record a stat, big-time throws. He leads them in that. I never questioned Tom Brady's arm talent. Like, if you if you put on a film and you watched it, he always had a great arm. It was just about players getting down the field. Like, last year, they didn't have anybody that could do that. Julian Edelman was their best receiver, and I think he's average at best. He has some 1,000-yard seasons in there, but he's pretty much average at best. He's not a top-name, top-10 wide receiver in the league. So, yeah, I think Tom Brady definitely, he made the right decision going to Tampa. And so far, it's looking like the Patriots lost in this scenario. Mostly because of Bill Belichick's stubbornness, you can say. Because he refused to pay guys. He refused to get this talent when he was asking him to get this talent. And I don't care, like, you know, Bill Belichick wanted Jimmy G. 
I'm taking 43-year-old Tom Brady over Jimmy G right now. Well, yeah, and, and Jimmy G has not panned out to be the guy that I feel like a lot of people thought he was going to be. And, and I, if, st- I still think he has that potential. I don't, but I, I don't. I, I really don't. I don't see anything in Jimmy G. He's a good average quarterback, like a Kirk Cousins type. But if you if he can't be that superstar under Kyle Shanahan, he wasn't going to do it with Josh McDaniels, like for being honest. Probably not. But the thing is, he wouldn't have had to be that in New England. I think he would have been perfect for New England because you've seen in San Francisco, he's not going to be a guy who's going to make crazy plays for you. He's not going to be a, a Drew Brees or a Payne Manning type player where they're going to put you on your back and win games. So you think Jimmy G with this New England roster? Not this New England roster, but if he would. So when those issues came up with, you know, the, the rumors about Tom Brady and Jimmy G, who's going to stay, who's going to go. If they had picked Jimmy G over Tom Brady, I think that they would have been successful, not as successful as they were with Tom Brady, but I think that they would have won the division, though, what was it, two years I that think, Tom yeah. Brady was there after Garoppolo got traded. You know, I, I think that he would have been really good in that Bill Belichick system where you don't have to do too much, you make the smart throws, because he's a smart quarterback, I feel like. I feel like he doesn't make too many bad mistakes. Oh, uh, no. I just don't think that he makes that many plays that jump off the paper at you. He doesn't. But now we're going to talk about New England. Question is, what's wrong with New England? They're, what, 2-4 and four now? This is their longest losing streak since 2002. In my opinion, people are crucifying Cam Newton. And I think, me included... We got fixated on his performance against Seattle, which in hindsight we know is one of the worst defenses in the NFL, the worst in terms of the yardage they give up in the NFL. And now they've been facing better competition, and it's just it's just been collapsing. I mean, I, I watched the game, and I took, a, I took a record of what happened. So Newen had an interception in the second quarter. He threw it into double coverage. Fred Warner intercepted it. It was a bad throw. But also, he was leading his receivers into hits. He, he led Nikhil Harry into this nasty, really nasty hit. Then he had a bad interception with under a minute left in the first half. He didn't read a safety. He thought the safety was going to pick up Nikhil Harry running to the middle of the field. But instead, he followed his other receiver on a go. Cam Newton threw it. It got intercepted, right? Then in the, in the second half, he threw another interception that was tipped. I don't really consider that his fault, but he got benched right after that. The problem that I see with New England is that they are stuck because they don't have any weapons. People want to blame Cam, but who who is your backup? Who who are you going to go to? Jared Stidham? Jared Stidham is not good. And people were hoping he would develop into something. If New England thought he was good, he'd be playing. They would have never tried to go get Cam Newton. He's not a good quarterback. He had an interception uh, in the fourth quarter yesterday. When they threw him in the game, every single time Jared Stidham has been put in a position to play, he's thrown an interception. We've seen it. He gave Jamal Adams, I think, his first career interception or his second. It was one of those. But the problem with New England is that they're stuck because they don't have another option to go to, and also they have no weapons. Bill Belichick drafted two tight ends in the third round this past draft. Their names are Dalton Keene and Devin Asiasi. Devin Asiasi has played five games. He's yet to be targeted. Dalton Keene has one reception for eight yards. These are third-round picks. These are Mike McCagnin-level picks. Like These are third-round picks, and they're not playing up to the level that they're supposed to play. 
And this was the most stacked wide receiver draft class. And you didn't go out and draft the receiver. It's just everything is collapsing in New England right now. Yeah, and the problem was with Tom Brady being as great as he was, he could make those guys that, that were brought in to fill the gaps look better than they were. And when you bring in a guy like Cam Newton, who is not 2015 Cam Newton, he's Cam Newton coming off, I believe he had shoulder surgery, correct? Coming off shoulder surgery and in a totally different place in his career, he's not at that level where he's going to elevate everyone around him. And that's what the Patriots are missing right now. They don't have, they, they need, if they wanted to win with this roster, they would need one of those top five to seven quarterbacks in the league that can make mistakes go away elsewhere. And Cam Newton is not that guy. They don't have that guy on their roster and they're not going to find that guy. And it's a microcosm of the bigger issue of they're still trying to go for it, but I feel like it might be time to bite the bullet. They can't anymore. And and, and go into the rebuild. And I know, like, I, I hate to sound like the two ultimate outcome guy, but there are realistically seven teams that can compete for a championship this year around there, and that's being generous. And the Patriots are not one of them, and they're not trending upwards. They're trending down. I don't even think the Patriots make the playoffs this year. No. I, I don't think, I think they make it. At this point, the Dolphins have a better chance of making the playoffs than that. Yeah, they do. But also, it's like when you look at the Patriots, we underestimated how great Tom Brady is, which is really hard to do, but people did it because Tom Brady doesn't make mistakes. He protects the ball. He doesn't throw dumb interceptions. Cam Newton throws dumb interceptions. A lot of quarterbacks throw dumb interceptions. Even quarterbacks as great as Russell Wilson, we've seen it yesterday in overtime, he threw a bad interception. Of course, with guys like that, it happens very rarely, but when you're a quarterback that's not as good as a Wilson or a Brady, you do it much more often, and that hurts your team. Another thing that's hurting them is their defense is not this elite defense anymore. They have these names like Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones. They got these good corners, but realistically – I was watching a game yesterday, and they, they were getting gashed by the 49ers. I, and that's why I disagree with you with what you said about Jimmy, because Jimmy had two interceptions. One of them, it was like, oh, whatever interception, just trying to get a touchdown at the end of that half, right? So I didn't really pay too much mind into that. But he wasn't even throwing the ball. I, the whole game I'm watching it, I'm just like, wow, I feel like all of these plays have been runs, have been jet sweeps, have been outside zone, zone runs. They were just gashing the Patriots. Jeff Wilson had 131 yards rushing on like 19 carries. It's just the Patriots don't have the same defense that's elite that can really make up for the lack of offense that they had. And even last year, the defense kind of was overrated because we've seen they were the top defense, but against competition that was pretty bad. Yeah, and and the one excuse that we have to give them is they have been one of the teams hit hardest by the virus and the protocol and figuring that out. And it's been an even bigger, tougher adjustment for them than a lot of other teams around the league. Bringing Cam Newton in was going to be a difficult adjustment anyway. And on top of that, missing him for a couple weeks and, and just in general, other places on the team being impacted, missing practices obviously has hurt them, but it's no excuse for where they're at right now. You know, we... We, as Jet fans, watched the Bills on Sunday play against the Jets, and I'm sorry, they looked flat. Like The Bills are not the Chiefs. The Bills are not what the Steelers have been this season. The Bills are vulnerable. 
But the problem is that nobody in the division is going to challenge them. That should have been the Patriots, but now it's the Dolphins. Like, the Dolphins are the, the closest team in the AFC East right now to the to the Bills. See, I would agree with you about they've been hard, hit, hit hardest with COVID because they definitely had, but that's what we know Bill Belichick for, for making players that we usually wouldn't talk about into guys that, wow, we all of a sudden know who they are. And this year, he hasn't really done it. You know, and we can't we can't keep exonerating Bill Belichick for what he does year to year when his drafts are bad. His draft this year was terrible. Like you you brought in no offensive weapons to help your offense. And that's why Tom Brady was so frustrated. Because I'm watching the game and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated for Cam that he's getting all of the blame. When yeah, Cam is not an elite quarterback. I don't even think he's a star, superstar quarterback. He's a good quarterback, but he doesn't deserve this level of criticism that people are throwing at him because this roster sucks. Yeah, and he's owned up to it, too. Uh, he had this quote on Sunday. He said, the first thing I said to myself coming home was, you keep playing games like that, bro, and it's going to be a permanent change. And he said, you don't need to tell me you don't need to tell me that for me to understand it. I get it loud and clear. As so long he knows, as- like... That he's got to turn his play around. As long as Jared Stidham is there, there's not going to be any permanent change. As long as he's the guy that they got to turn to, if things go bad, there's not going to be a permanent change. They're going to change right back to Cam if they go to Stidham. The only problem is, are they going to get to a point in the season where they give up on trying to win and trying to develop for the future? That would be the only case, I think, that Stidham gets the job permanently because they're trying to see what they have. you know. And if they fall to... No, having no playoff shot, there's no reason to keep Cam out there. I think they that, rather than putting Stidham out there and seeing what you got. I think they finish seven to nine wins between that area. That's why I don't think they're gonna try to tank the season. I think they're gonna still compete, but they're gonna win the most nine games. Realistically, I'd say I'd bank my money on them winning eight games. Well, they still get the Jets twice, so that'll put them at four. They have the Texans, which they're not playing well, but even that'll be probably an interesting game. Deshaun Watson always makes it interesting. Other than that, their schedule's pretty tough. They have the Bills next week, and then they have the Ravens, the Cardinals, the in, in no order, just listen to me. The Ravens, the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Rams, the Bills again, and the Dolphins. That's that's tough. And that's and that's the teams they have left. So it's the gonna, Jets twice yeah. and that's remaining schedule. Yeah. It's going to be hard to find wins in that schedule. Yeah, maybe eight wins, nine at most, that they really get lucky on some, on some Which, games. I mean, I guess when you look at it. But they face the Bills, and I think this that's going to be an interesting game. Yeah, and that's a game the Bills have to win. Yeah, but it's really a question mark because the Bills haven't been playing so well either. I don't want to talk too bad about the Bills. So the, Bill fan, the Bills fans will be going crazy in our comments. So Odell... He got injured. He's out for the year. It's a sad injury. I'm not going to lie. You know, I would love Odell to still be playing. But my outlook on the Browns now, they're they're with Odell. They were a playoff team, probably first round, second round exit team. Without Odell, they're a playoff team, first or second round exit team. I think the Browns are better without Odell Beckham than with him. And the reason I say that is, when you look at Odell Beckham, you're like, oh, he's a superstar receiver. They're obviously better with him than without him. But that's not true. Look at these numbers right here. 
these are Baker's stats when targeting Odell Beckham. 54 completion percentage, 7 yards per attempt, and 73.6 QBR. Baker is an average to pretty bad quarterback when he's targeting Odell. What about when he's targeting any other wide receiver? 78.6% accurate. So about 20% more accurate when he's not targeting Odell. 10.6 yards per attempt and a 96.2 quarterback rating. So he's a good to great quarterback when not targeting Odell Beckham. And he had five touchdowns yesterday. You want to know where all those five touchdowns came from? After Odell exited the game. And I, I'm not I'm not the person that's going to, I'm not going to talk about like, you know, because a lot of people want to talk about Odell being like a culture guy and stuff. I don't care about none of that. I just care about on the field, how they produce with and without him. And Baker is better without Odell. And the reason because, because of that is because Odell is a high-status player. You know you have to target him. Even if the play is not for him, you're looking for him first. You're not letting the play, the play progress how it's supposed to progress. So when he's there, Baker's force-feeding him the ball. Versus when he's not there, there, we're seeing more flashes of Baker's rookie year. And we saw it yesterday. Five touchdowns. Like He hasn't had, that, he hasn't had a game like that since his rookie year. And I think you kind of hit on the point there. I'm going to take it in a little bit of a different direction. I I think that Odell is one of those guys, one of those, I think he's a superstar wide receiver, even though he might not have shown that in Cleveland so far. He, I still think he's a superstar receiver. And those type of guys are the type of guys that when plays break down, they're the one you look for. And I think that that results in bad throws going his way more often than other players on the team that won't be looked at as much in that situation. You know, it's almost like Odell is a bailout plan for you because you know he can make ridiculous plays. There's a better chance of him making a ridiculous play than another receiver. I get that, but he hasn't been a bailout for Baker. And their he, offense has never gotten on the same page since Odell came there, though. Both of them have never gotten on the same page. And I think that when when Odell is not on the field... I feel like they rely more heavily on the rushing attack and play off of that. I don't even think that because when he was there, they were running the ball a lot. It's just when you start to pass the ball, you're eyeing Odell. Like Baker finished the game with 22, well, 21 straight completions. It should have been 22, 23 straight completions, but on his 22nd pass attempt within that stretch, it was a spike. So that's he, a, that's. He, he realistically completed the ball 22 straight times. That's a problem for Baker Mayfield, though. Because if you can't throw to star wide receivers, then what are you going to do? I don't think so, because I think there's, di- there's a difference between an Odell star wide receiver and a Julio Jones star wide receiver. They have different profiles to them. Like, Julio's probably not going to complain about getting the ball. He's not going to be, you know, constantly tapping your shoulder Odell, we've seen it before where he throws temper tantrums on the sideline and he's, you know, going out. We've we seen it in the Giant, with the Giants when he literally bashed Eli Manning and went on a whole media tour talking about how he wants to get out of New York and talking about how he wants to play with another quarterback because he wasn't getting targeted. But in New York, when he was targeted earlier in his career, look at the numbers that he put up. The offense was totally different with him and then when he left. But would you rather... Want to receive us again numbers, or would you rather win? Well, them not winning was not because of Odell. It had nothing to do with Odell. The chemistry kind of got ruined because of him in that stretch. 
That's why they had to trade him. That is not the reason they were losing games, though. No, they weren't a great team. And Eli, they probably should have moved on from him a year earlier than they did. But Odell didn't make the situation better. No, he didn't make the situation better. Do you think a DeAndre Hopkins would have did that? Would have went on that media tour? Do you think a Julio Jones would have did that? No, probably not. But I, I just think that he gets a lot more of the blame in that New York situation than he deserves. It it reminds me, honestly, of the Kyrie Irving situation in Boston, where I personally think that he gets all of the blame when he doesn't deserve it. You look at the Giants. Kyrie is a... You look at the Giants, and look at what happened to them after he left. They have done a bad job drafting. No, they, yeah, they I totally understand They have gotten you. worse every year since he's left. But I don't think that... I'm not saying that he was the reason they were losing, but their chemistry definitely took a hit because he went on that media tour and he kind of had to be on his best behavior in Cleveland. But even with the numbers, the numbers are showing you that the connection is not working. And is it Odell? Is it Baker? I don't know. I just don't think that they work together. And I think that that whole offense was kind of like bringing in as much talent as possible and everything else be damned. And it just hasn't worked out. I just Plus, think that the numbers show that, that the numbers show that Baker's better without him. On top of that, we're not targeting him at least. Look at he had Freddie Kitchens, a rookie head coach, and now Kevin Stefanski, a rookie head coach. No, yeah, that's why the past season that happened with Freddie Kitchens, I kind of put an asterisk next to it. I don't take it too seriously because Freddie Kitchens was a bad coach, but this year with Kevin Stefanski, I think he's a really brilliant yeah. offensive line. No, I, I really like Stefanski, but I'm saying more as a rookie head coach. You're not as well equipped to deal with situations like that as a veteran head coach, like because we were talking about the Bucks before. Bruce Arians bringing in a guy like Antonio Brown is much more well versed to handle a situation like that than a rookie head coach would be. And I feel like it's tough. There's yeah, been no continuity, so it's kind of like every year now the culture has reset. Yeah, but it's not even about the continuity thing. It's about your quarterback not meshing well with that receiver. And he's he's literally eyeing him down and making bad throws to try to force feed him the ball. I I didn't think that it was a good move for the Browns last year, and I thought that they should have gotten rid of him this year because, like you mentioned, they just don't have that connection. And I don't think that the blame should be placed on either one of them. I just think that they have not worked out, and that happens in sports. No, yeah, I don't think the blame goes on somebody, but I also think that him being injured, I hope that he recovers. I'm not trying to talk down on him, but him being injured, it does not matter to the Browns' success. They were going their their ceiling is as high with him as it is without him. Well, the thing that really concerns me about the Browns, and it's been the biggest question mark. It was the biggest question mark last year. It's been the biggest question mark this year. What is Baker Mayfield? And we've seen moments of brilliance from him. And we've seen moments where it just looks like he has no idea what he's doing. I still believe in Baker Mayfield. I st- no, I still do too. I just want to see him have those spectacular moments a little more consistently. And and have his lows and he had it yesterday. be much less low. He did, he, no, he Without definitely Odell. did. He definitely did. There's no question about it. But can he do that over... Not even that, because that was a tremendous performance. But can he be good over the span of a season? We have not seen him put it together for 16 games yet. And that's what I want to see out of him. I personally. think this year we'll see it. 
I still have the Browns making the playoffs. They're in a perfect position too. They're five and two, and I think from here on out we're probably gonna we're probably gonna see them be better and Baker be a better quarterback, and we're gonna have to start having a conversation. That conversation is gonna start being louder and louder whether Odell should be shipped out because Baker doesn't work that well with him. The conversation was already very loud, and now if they start winning without him, you're right, it will get louder, but. So now we're going to talk about an NFC North quarterback, rookie quarterback, and we're going to talk about another rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow and and Justin Herbert. So between the two of them, who are you more impressed with so far and who are you going to go with moving forward? It's a very tough question. I think that both of them have met or exceeded expectations. I don't think that either of them have disappointed, and I don't know if you agree on that. Yeah, I wouldn't call either a disappointment. So it's a tough choice. Personally, I've been more wowed by Justin Herbert. I think that he has made more plays. He's been in more games than Joe Burrow does. Granted, that could very well be a product of Joe Burrow plays for the Bengals. They have not surrounded him with the best cast so far. And I think that Justin Herbert was put in a much better situation to hit the ground running. But competing with the Chiefs in his first, I believe that was his first start against the Chiefs. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Competing with the Chiefs in his first start and bringing that game down to the wire said a lot about him. And he's only built off of that performance. He played great in that game against the Saints. So he's playing good teams and, and really competing. And even if they're losing the game, the same thing, Buccaneers was a very close game, and he played really well. So even the games they're losing, he's making them very competitive. And I don't know if right now Terod Taylor would be doing the same thing. Who are you moving forward with? It's such a hard question. I think that right now I would say Justin Herbert. But solely based off of what we've seen. But I think that Joe Burrow's ceiling is higher. I think that Joe Burrow can be a top three quarterback in the league moving forward. Like, no no question in my mind, he has all the tools to be that guy. But I just don't know if he's going to develop to be that in Cincinnati. I think I actually have an opposite response to that. I agree with your initial response. Justin Herbert has impressed me more. And I'm moving forward with him as well. And I think his ceiling is higher than Joe Burrow's. When, when you look at Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, you compare the two. Who has a better arm? Justin Herbert. Who's more athletic? Justin Herbert. And if we're talking about physical tools, Justin Herbert beats Joe Burrow in mostly every other in every single category. Joe Burrow beats him in reading the game and dissecting defenses. But that's why when we're talking about ceilings and potential, Justin Herbert can surpass that. And I've been wowed by Justin Herbert because I think most people thought he was going to be a bust. Most people thought he wasn't going to be that good. He wasn't definitely going to show these flashes that he's been showing so far because at Oregon, he had some questionable questionable tape. I mean, at Oregon, they threw a bunch of screen passes, I think the highest rate in college football. So a lot of people thought that that was because the coaching staff didn't trust in Herbert. But it was the opposite. It was that the coaching staff really didn't know how to use Herbert in any way. I mean, you look at him now, he 
he has a 108 quarterback rating and completing 67% of his passes. And I've seen him play. These passes are not dink and dunk passes. These passes are really deep passes. He's really slinging the ball all over the place. And he's tied with Russell Wilson in most touchdowns thrown over 20 yards. Like, he's in Russell Wilson territory in that stat. An argument that people are going to use for Joe Burrow is roster construction, right? Oh, the Bengals have such a much worse roster than the Chargers. But that's wrong. On paper, healthy, yes, I agree. But when you look at the Chargers and what they've had to deal with, I mean, look at this. Chris Harris, a corner they signed in free agency, has not played since week three. Austin Eckler, their best running back, has not played since week four. Mike Pouncey and Derwin James have not played at all this season. Mike Pouncey is their starting center. Brian Bulaga has not played since week three. Tri Turner has not played since week two. Justin Herbert's starting tackle, center, and guard have not played. And outside, those are the guys that were supposed to solidify that offensive line for that team. He's not working with a, with a good offensive line, like Burrow, right? They're both not working with great defenses. I think the Chargers have a better defense, a better front four for sure, but their defenses, it's not a gap, right? They're working with kind of like the same roster construction as in Herbert has great wide receivers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams to an extent, Hunter Henry, but so does Burrow with A.J. Green, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, even John Ross, even though he hasn't been getting touches, Auden Tate, like they have depth at the wide receiver room, both teams. Their roster construction is really similar. So I feel like a lot of people that are going to use that against Justin Herbert, oh, he's in a better situation. I, I couldn't disagree more. In terms of coaching, yes. Because that's what that's coaching, more coaching, what coach, coaching, yes. This is why I don't want the char I don't want the Chargers to go out and make a splash move and fire Anthony Lynn. It would because, be a mistake. Yeah, because if they go what? If they win three to four games, yeah, he might get fired. They might bring in an offensive head coach. I feel like just bringing in the coordinator, yet. yeah. Because I like Anthony Lynn as a head coach. They've been losing a lot of close games versus the Saints. Their kicker shanked it, and he's really an inaccurate kicker, Badgley. That's for another day, though, but they have barely have been losing these close games that they can easily win. And I think the most important thing about Anthony, Anthony Lynn right now is him and Herbert are on the same page, and that connection between a quarterback and a head coach, it's easy to miss on. You look at the Browns. They had a good thing with Greg Williams and Baker Mayfield. Would it have lasted? Who knows? But then they bring in Freddie Kitchens, and everything went downhill. So when you have a connection like that working, especially with a guy who's highly regarded around the league in Anthony But Lynn, Freddie Kitchens was their OC, though, in Cleveland. Yeah, but I, I think that they should have just kept Greg Williams. I don't think they needed to make a change with Greg Williams as their interim head coach. They played the best football that we had seen from them in a, in a decade. And in hindsight, though, like would I really want Greg Williams being my head coach? No, probably not. Yeah. But I was using it more of an example of when you have a connection like that, maybe not mess it up, especially when you look at what the Chargers have done this season. And like you mentioned, they've been in games against very good teams, and their record might not reflect it, but the Bucks, the Saints, the Chiefs, they had all of these teams right on the ropes. And – I think that Herbert is just going to keep getting better and better. I do think that both of these guys are going to be very good quarterbacks. I don't think either of them are going to be a bust. Yeah, definitely not. I think this draft has turned into what we thought the 2018 draft was going to be. 
But I also think that most of these quarterbacks landed in really good situations. Like Tua landed in Miami. Justin Herbert with the Chargers. Jordan Love, we haven't seen him play, but with the Packers. Joe Burrow, the worst situation, but they don't They're have bad up. talent. They They're don't have up. yeah. They don't have bad talent on that team. In 2018, you see Darnold landing with the Jets, bad situation. You see Josh Allen and with the Bills, good situation. Josh Rosen with the Cardinals. Steve Wilkes as their head coach, bad situation. Baker Mayfield, first two years, situation. bad situation. And then Lamar Jackson, the best situation, but. In terms of this draft, like even the teams that picked in the top ten were great situations for these quarterbacks exactly. to go into. All three of those teams, even the Bengals, who I mentioned have had some issues, all three of them are trending up. And I think that the Bengals are headed in the right direction. I do like Zach Taylor. I think that they're on the right track, but it takes time to get all the right pieces in place. I think that the Dolphins are in great shape. You look at them moving forward, they have a bunch of draft picks. They They're going to have probably top five pick in this draft courtesy of the Texans, and they still have more cap space rolling over from last year. And they got a lot of young talent to develop. They're in a great situation, and I think the Chargers right now are maybe a piece or two away from making a legitimate playoff run. The only thing is they got to get past the Chiefs in that division, which good luck with that. But, you know, I, I think that they're all... In good, I think that the three of those guys at the top of the draft are in great situations. And you even mentioned Jordan Love coming up behind Aaron Rodgers is going to be what Aaron Rodgers was to Brett Favre there in Green Bay. So I think that yeah, this, I hope he does well. This could be a quarterback class that we look back on as a historically good quarterback draft class. I was watching a game yesterday, the night game, as probably everybody was. I think it was the game of the year. It's really intense game. But as I'm watching it, I'm thinking about the way Seattle plays. And I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think that they can make it far in the playoffs. Yes, they're going to make it, I think. You know, you never know because that division is extremely tough. But I don't think they can win in the playoffs. Maybe the first game, but the second game or the championship game, I don't think they can win if they're facing one of these better teams. I mean, what do you think about that? They're missing some pieces on that defense, especially Jamal Adams, who they just traded so much to go out and get. And I think that getting him back will be a big help. I think that we have not seen what they really are defensively yet. It'll be interesting to see but, but, if, if it can make any better. Because any difference would be good for them right now because they have been lousy defensively. But I have to ask you, what difference is going to really change them? If we're, if we're being honest, because... Right now, they're the worst defense in the league in terms of yards that they allow. They allow 479 yards. Atlanta's at 426. That's a 50-yard difference. Seattle is the worst. So what? Is, is Jamal Jamal Adams healthy? Is he going to make up for that? Well, they, I don't think that their Because that's the only guy that's like really injured for them. I don't think their defense has to be some top 10 defense. If it can be... Decent. If it could be, you know, even manageable, then they could make it work because that offense has been so good. I think, I think the offense, I think we fell into, I even done, I even did this. We fell in love with Seattle too quick because they play, I mean, you, you fall in love with the way they play. They play offense, right? You know, they sling it, they throw deep passes. That That's what people love about football. But if we're being realistic, 
right? And I was looking at this just today. The teams they beat were the Falcons. Right now, we know they're one of the worst teams in the league. The Patriots, they barely beat them. We know the Patriots are trending downwards. They beat Dallas. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL. They barely beat Dallas. They beat Miami. You know, they're a solid team. They beat Minnesota barely. Minnesota's one of the worst teams in the NFL. And they lost to the Cardinals. The Cardinals are the best teams team that they've faced so far. They're the best team. What, what team from the, this list of teams has a defense that gave Seattle a challenge? Arizona was the best one. And I think they created a blueprint on how to beat Seattle. You play cover zero, you show all-out blitz looks, and you drop back your linebackers in disguise of defense. That's what got Russell Wilson on the last play. They only sent four. It looked like they were going to blitz and send five or six. They only sent four. The linebackers dropped back Isaiah Simmons. Easy interception. The interception happened because Russell Wilson pre-read where he was going to yeah. go. And they had sent that full that all-out blitz a couple of times in the fourth quarter that helped disguise that package. Um, but if I had to bet, I would say that the Seahawks are going to be one of those Super Bowl contenders come down to February. Do I think that they could win a Super Bowl with their defense looking like this? No chance. But the hope is... If you're a Seahawk fan, you get Jamal Adams back. He's supposed to be a difference maker. He was a difference maker for the Jets defense last year. I don't think Jamal is. He he's a difference maker. I'm I don't not know, denying that. I don't know if he's going to make them into a great defense or even a good defense. But I don't think that they need that. I think they do because the, the look, Russ Wilson has had four interceptions in the last two games against Arizona and Minnesota. What's going to happen when they face Tampa? an elite defense. What's going to happen if they face an elite defense in the playoffs? What's going to happen? They're going to get embarrassed. I think they're going to get embar- they're going to get blown out. If they face Tampa, Tampa's going to embarrass them. Well, even probably more than they embarrass Green Bay. We're going to find out about the Seahawks coming up because they got the Niners next week and then they got the Bills, the Rams, and the Cardinals again. The, so we're going to learn a lot about the Seahawks in this little middle stretch of their schedule. The thing about it is that I feel so bad for Russell Wilson because he has to play the role of Superman every single game for them to have a chance to win. Like it, it, I just don't think that's sustainable. It, you can't win like that. You it, can't In the regular season, yes. But in the playoffs, you can't win like that. You're right. No, you're, you're right about that. And it is a concern especially come playoff time. But if they get there, then they, I, I, I think that by playoff time, they will be better defensively. They will get Jamal Adams back, and they will figure some things out. I would bet that Pete Carroll can find a way to turn things around enough to make a difference. I don't think that they need a, a top five, top ten defense to really make noise in January. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I really do. And if you're going off by how their offenses look, then I agree with you. But we haven't seen this offense face an elite defense yet. We, we've only seen this offense face defenses that are pretty bad. But the weapons are there, and, and everything would tell you that even against a very good defense, they'll be successful. I, I mean, Russell Wilson is arguably the best, the best quarterback in football. He will win you games alone, and he's done so so far this season. 
But like you mentioned, it's going to be very interesting to see how they stack up against, especially this stack of schedule right here in, in the middle. They're going to play four really good teams on both sides of the on both sides of the ball, and it's going to tell us a lot of what we need to know about them. Yeah. So the team that they lost, who were the Cardinals, the NFC West has just gotten really interesting because the Cardinals are five and two, the Seahawks are five and one, the Forty ers are four and three, the Rams are four and two. After tonight, they might be five and two or four and three. The game is going on as we're as we're speaking right now. That being said, can the Cardinals win the NFC West? And do you think that they will? I think they can. I think that anything can happen in that NFC West. I think it's the anti-NFC East where all four of those teams are so good that any of them could turn it on at any time and finish the season undefeated realistically and be the team to win that division. I don't think they're going to for that same reason, and I don't think that they are at the level at those at those other three teams right now. Like, when you look at the Seahawks, the Rams, and the 49ers, they've been successful the past few years, and the Cardinals have not had that. The Cardinals are just getting to that point. Same thing with Kyler Murray. He's been a little bit on and off this year, and they need him to be on if they want to compete. You, you look at last night, he wasn't great to start the football game, but when he settled in and, and started getting that offense moving, they looked like a totally different team in the second half. And they need him to be consistent all year long if they want to be that team at the top of the NFC West. There, there's not going to be any cupcakes. They're not getting a pass in their division because every week is going to be a challenge whenever they see a division opponent. And they, they need that consistency that they haven't had yet this year. They they can do it, mm-hmm. and I think that Cliff Kingsbury is a very good head coach. I think he will have their ducks in a row. They're, I think they're going to be a playoff team. We both predicted that to start the season, but I don't know if they can compete for that division title yet. I think it's extremely close, and outside of the Rams, the Cardinals are the most complete team in that division. Especially with the injuries to the 49ers. Yeah, but even with the 49ers, I mean, you see Nick Bosa, he's hurt. But then outside of that, who's who's really hurt for the 49ers? They got Debo back, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle back. They they got in their guys back, except for Bosa because he's out for the year. But the Cardinals, I mean, they're 10th in defense and they're ninth in offense. So they have a top 10 offense and defense in terms of points scored and allowed. And when I look at, okay, yes, the Rams have a more complete team, in my opinion. When when you look outside of Russell Wilson, when you look at the quarterbacks, Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, Jimmy G, Kyler is the best one out of the other two. I think he's the biggest difference maker other than Russell Wilson in that division. Yeah, for certain, because he can run the ball. He he's electric. Kyler Murray is electric and his passing numbers aren't crazy. You know, you look at his touchdown to interception ratio, you're like, Oh, this isn't jumping out the paper, but he's an elite runner of the football. I mean Last year, he ran for 544 yards and four touchdowns. That was in 16 games. This season, he's already over 400 yards rushing and seven touchdowns. So we might see another Lamar Jackson-esque season, not in terms of MVP, but in terms of throwing for 3,000 yards and rushing for 1,000 yards. Like who? When is that? When when was the last time that that happened in back-to-back seasons where two different quarterbacks have, have passed for 3,000 
and rush for 3,000. This might be the say, first time in history. Is it outrageous to say he's Lamar Jackson light? Lamar Jackson light? I mean, I don't know. You know, I think Lamar Jackson is more of a physical player. Yeah. Because I don't think Kyler can take the hits that Lamar can take. But I, I think that a lot of his uh, success in the packing, passing attack comes from the fact that he is such a great runner, which I think is what has made Lamar an elite quarterback. You know, I, I think that a lot of people knock him for not being able to throw the football, which is just wrong. It's just that him being able to throw the football is aided a lot by the fact that the defense opens up because he is such an elite runner, which yeah, I don't think I he should be docked points for No, we yeah, discuss I see that. that. But Ky- Kyler Murray is a great passer. The criticism on him is that he he's short, so his passes get batted sometimes. But he's a great and accurate passer. The thing with me is that it's not just when looking at Kyler. It's just looking at this defense as a whole. They lost Chandler Jones, and that's going to be a huge loss. But Vance Joseph is a great defensive coordinator. And the guys that they have, Buda Baker, he's he's a star. Byron Murphy, he's a star. He was the one that blitzed and got the pressure on Russell Wilson late in overtime. And then people don't talk about this player enough, but Devondre Campbell, they picked him up from Atlanta. He is the reason that Isaiah Simmons is not starting. Devondre Campbell is extremely good at covering players, and he's just a good linebacker. He fits their scheme so well. And that's why I think Arizona is the most complete team. Like like I said, I mean, I had the Rams winning the division just because I think they're the most complete team. After tonight, I'm going to see where my prediction stands because if they beat Chicago, then I'll feel even more confident about that pick. But if they lose tonight, I can easily see Arizona winning the division. I mean, their next games are Miami, Buffalo, Seattle, Patriots, the Rams, the Giants, the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Rams. The only gimme game I see there is the Giants. So every other game is going to be a really, it's going to be a dogfight. So whether they're up for it, up for the challenge or not, is going to be really, we're going to have to see. But I think the division winner, they don't win by more than a one or two game lead at most. It's going to be a really close race to end off the year. Yeah, that division, you might as well throw darts because no, I, I feel like nobody's going to be able to accurately predict that division. You know, we could sit here and make our guesses, but your guess is just as good as mine. I don't think there's any damning evidence against any of the teams that they aren't going to be a, a very good team at the end of the season. I think the only thing that can make that happen is injuries. And you look at the 49ers, they dealt with some pretty bad injuries to start the year, and they're still right there, four and three in the race. Yep. And like you mentioned, all these schedules are going to be tough because a majority of the games are going to be played against each other. So there's no right. If you look at a team like the Bills, they get the luxury of playing the Jets two times a year. And honestly, the Patriots, who have been off key, and the Dolphins, who realistically aren't there yet as competitors. I think they're trending in the right direction, but they should have no problem beating the Dolphins. The NFC West doesn't get that cushion, so it's going to be very tough. They're going to be beating up on each other, and I think that the most resilient team is going to win the division. The problem is there's nothing to show us who that can be. It's not like any of these four teams has a huge advantage in the head coaching situation. All of them have really good head coaches. All of them are have solid leadership. It's not like there's one team that is a pretender. I think all four of those teams are legit playoff teams. Mm-hmm. And also, right now, 
the Rams are beating the Bears 10-3. 10-3? What quarter is it? Three minutes left in the half. Oh, that's going to be a good game to watch. So, as that game's going on, we're going to make our predictions. NFL pick them week four. You guys know how this segment goes. Last week, I didn't like it too much. I breezed through it. Maybe that's the reason I went 12-1 and one in my picks because <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking about my picks too much. But this week, since River's not here, I guess we have no choice but to actually explain why we're picking our teams. So I'll go first, Falcons versus Panthers. I got the Panthers, uh, well, no, I got the Falcons winning this one. The reason I got the Falcons is because the Panthers won the first one. And I feel like this is how division games, games go. You know, one team wins the first one, the other team wins the next one. So I got Atlanta in this one. I'm going to go with the Panthers. I think that Teddy Bridgewater looked really good against the Saints. He's been solid this season. I like Matt Rule's head coach, and they were a 65-yard NFL record-breaking field goal away from going to overtime with the Saints, who I think are a really good team. I think they'll build off that, and I still don't trust the Falcons. You look at – I feel like you can never trust the Falcons, and realistically, they got screwed by that Todd Gurley touchdown that shouldn't have been a touchdown. But They should have won. Yeah, it, it – I trust the Panthers more than I trust the Falcons. I don't trust the Falcons at all with any lead, so I'm going to go Panthers. Next game, Vikings versus Packers. I have the Packers in this one simply because they have the Vikings number. I, I can't remember when the Vikings beat the Packers. I can't remember the last time that that happened. The Packers are on a roll. They're one of the best teams in the NFL, and the Vikings, they suck. So the, <laughs> the Packers are going to win this game. Don't hold back at all. Tell us how you really feel. Nah, the Packers are just a much better team overall. I don't see the Vikings even competing in this one. I think it's going to be a blowout. I just think the Vikings are down in the dumps, and the Packers have been the exact opposite. I think that they, you can make an argument, they're a top three, top five team in football right now. Aaron Rodgers, he's ridiculous. You know what Aaron Rodgers is. He's an MVP candidate every season, and that offense is starting to click. Devontae Adams had one of the biggest games of the season on Sunday. And when that offense is clicking, there's not many teams in the league that can stop them, let alone the lowly Vikings. So I'm going Packers. Next game, Titans versus Bengals. Pretty easy for me. I got the Titans. I also got the Titans. A little bounce back after. They clawed back in that Steelers game. I was impressed. You know, it looked like they were totally They were going to tie it if Goskowski needed to miss the field goal. Yeah, and that was a really bad miss. Um and I think that that says a lot about them as a team, even though they lose that game. For them to come back in that, it says a lot about Tannehill as a quarterback, Mike Vrabel as a coach. They are not going to be – and this is what I said when we talked about them a few weeks ago, and Titans, Titans fans got really mad at me because I said nine times out of ten they're going to lose to the Chiefs. But every single week they play, they're going to come in and fight. I think that they are a much better team than the Bengals. They're going to win this one, but I, I wouldn't count them out any week. Yeah. Next game, Jets versus Chiefs. I got the Chiefs. We could have just skipped that one, yeah. honestly. I'm going Chiefs. Colts versus Lions. I have the Lions. The Lions are hot. I picked them to make the playoffs. This is where they start their playoff run, and they're going to beat the Colts. I haven't been too impressed with how the Colts have been playing in general. Most of their like defensive stats – have come like against bad teams, you know, so I feel like they're kind of inflated. I have the Lions in this one. This is a tough one. This is this is one of the games that I've gone back and forth on. I haven't been too impressed by either team, but 
I'm going to go Lions. I think that they'll carry the momentum off the win last week. Like you mentioned, I haven't been impressed with the Colts at all. Um, I, I like a couple of the pieces that the Lions have in place. And Matt Patricia, defensive head coach, I think the Phillip Rivers will struggle, and the Lions will get the win. Next game, Steelers versus Ravens. I have the Steelers because the Ravens can't play from behind. The Steelers are going to stop their run game, and the Ravens are going to have to play from behind, and they're not going to be able to win. This is going to be a great game to watch, first of all. I am going to go Steelers if for no other reason than I think I've picked against the Steelers almost every week this season, and every week they win, and I'm not going to let that happen again. That defense is ridiculous. I doubted them last week missing Devin Bush, but it was almost like they didn't miss a beat. And like you mentioned, the Ravens do not play well from behind. And Ben Roethlisberger, I want to say this because Ben Roethlisberger was a big question mark of mine coming into the season. For him to come back from Tommy John surgery the way he has has been so impressive. I give him all the credit in the world. I'm not a huge Big Ben fan. But for him to be able to come back from that, it takes a lot of hard work, and I give him a lot of credit. I'm going to go Steelers in this one. They stay undefeated. Rams versus Dolphins. I have the Rams because the Dolphins are 19th against the run, and the Rams, what do they like to do the most? They like to run, and football is about matchups. The Dolphins don't match up well with the Rams. My heart wants me to pick the Dolphins. It's Tua's first start. But... I I was just going to say that. It's to his first start. Aaron Donald on that defensive line. That is a lot for your first NFL head start or your first NFL start. I just don't know how Tua is going to handle that pressure. You know the Rams are going to get pressure on him because the Dolphins' offensive line isn't anything spectacular. I don't know how well he's going to handle that, so I'll go Rams. Patriots versus Bills. Um, I have the Patriots in this one. The Patriots are on their longest losing streak since 2002. They're still a well-coached football team. The Bills have been flat. They haven't been looking like they're well-coached lately. And I think their bad play is going to catch up to them. It almost did against the Jets. It's going to catch up to them against the Patriots. I'm going to go Bills because I just don't believe that they are what they showed this past weekend against the Jets. I think they played down to the competition. And I think, honestly, is a little bit of a wake-up call to them. And they needed that wake-up call because their next few games are going to be hell. And if they want to win those, they're going to have to get the ball rolling with the Patriots. This is going to be their last chance to get into form. They kind of blew it with the Jets, even with a win. I was not impressed at all by their performance. So I think they're going to come out firing, going into a tough stretch of their schedule. I'll go Bills. Next game, first game the Browns have without Odell. Raiders versus Browns. I have the Browns. The Raiders are 16th against the run. What do the Browns like to do? They like to run the ball, like the Rams. So I have the Browns in this one. I don't know what the status of the entire Raiders offensive line is going to be for the next entire week moving forward, even if they are able to play on Sunday. So for that reason, I'm going to go Browns. Getting that whole unit back is going to be a struggle and figuring out that chemistry again. It's it's a messy situation. I'm staying away from the Raiders. I'm going Browns. Next game, Chargers versus Broncos. To me, this game is easy to have the Chargers. I'm also going Chargers. The Broncos have looked bad. Yeah. 
Next game, Saints versus Bears. I have the Bears in this one. I think Michael Thomas isn't going to play, and the Bears' defense is elite. I don't think Breeze is going to have too much time in the pocket. I don't think the receivers are going to get open, and I think Nick Foles is going to get going this game. I wish I knew what Michael Thomas' status is going to be for that game because I think that'll make a big difference. Obviously, having a weapon like that would make a big difference in any game, but against that tough Chicago defense, it would be nice to have a reliable star wide receiver there to bail you out of some situations. I'll go Saints, though. Um, I feel like I'm waiting for them to break out, and I don't know if it's coming, but if it's coming, it's got to happen soon. This isn't the best matchup for it, but I'll still go Saints. Okay. 49ers versus Seahawks. I have the 49ers in this game, and the reason is because the Seahawks like to pass the ball. We know they're a pass-heavy team now. But the 49ers are third. They, they're third in passing yards a game. They, they allow the, the least amount of yards per game, the third least amount of yards passing-wise a game. So I think 49ers get back on track. People have slept on them, including me, because they were so injured to begin a the year. They didn't start off too hot, got blown out by Miami. But this is the game that's going to open up a lot of people's eyes to how good 49ers are and how vulnerable the Seahawks actually are. I'm going to go Seahawks in this game. I think that they know they need to bounce back, especially with another division opponent coming off a tough loss. Uh, And I think that when it comes down to it, Russell Wilson is not going to let them lose this game. And also, I don't know if I trust Jimmy G to to hang in a shootout with Russell Wilson, which seems like is the recipe to beating the Seahawks. You need a quarterback that's going to be able to duel it out with Russell Wilson, and I don't know if Jimmy G is capable of that right now. Cowboys versus Eagles. I have the Eagles. This is easy for me. The Cowboys have looked like the worst team in the NFL since Dak went down. Eagles have this game. Yeah, and I don't even know what Andy Dalton's status is going to be for next week. Coming off of that big hit, I'm sure he's not going to be able to play. So who is even going to – are they going to try and pick somebody up? Or I don't know, but their third string quarterback, I forgot his name, but he looked really bad. Yeah. So they uh, probably have yeah. to. So that's a mess of a situation. I'm going to go Eagles and man, have the Cowboys. That, that season has been flipped upside down. Last game, Buccaneers versus Giants. I have the Bucks. Yeah, it's an easy one. I'm going Bucks too. So before this episode ends, we want to give a Patreon shout out to Giles Conrado for pledging $15 a month. And this does it for the pick the this episode of Pick Aside. If you guys enjoy our content, please share it as it helps us grow. Follow us on Instagram at Pick Aside Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Pick Aside. And for those of you who would like to help out the show, you can donate to us on Patreon. To find our site, simply type in patreon.com slash pick aside podcast and you can look at the tiers and choose how much you would like to donate. Thank you for your support. Thank you for watching and see you next time. This is Colin Kelly from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. And over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network and business operations 
Now they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com forward slash Blue Wire.